Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It is October the 30th of 2019. Um, I, this entire month, I've been joined by the Spookmaster General, but I, 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 you look like Chris this time. Yeah, it's me, Chris, Nick. Okay. You know how the lore goes. The Spookmaster General's power disappears after Halloween. Right. Mm-hmm. I guess technically, seeing as how it's a full year after last year's Halloween, that it's after Halloween, but... yeah. Yeah, That's why he lost all of his power. Gotcha. Okay. Not going to argue with this. Yep. I don't own a calendar, Nick. So <laughs> I don't know. I just I don't told know. you what the date was. I don't listen to the beginning. <laughs> Who has time for that? Uh, Nick, I have something I want to talk to you about, though. I have, I have, a, okay. little, I have a little bit of an enchanting story. So I recently picked up a part-time gig, just seasonal hours, pick up some, uh, pick up some stuff. And uh, it it's one of the chain stores and they require you to do, you know, like the training first. And sure. I spent probably seven years working in training at uh, the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, so I know the process that goes into making them a training often. Like this isn't like the hands-on training. This is you sit down at a computer. You have to be taught these things. This is check boxes to protect ourselves legally in case you fuck something up. And we could right. say, well, we taught you. So a large problem that these trainings have is that they're not you, you can't just have like a slideshow that plays for six minutes because no one's going to pay attention. You have to force right. interactivity with the person. So sometimes it's like, oh, we'll pick these right answers or like, oh, drag this over here. I saw what had to be the grand pinnacle of insanity that someone was like, you know what? These trainings are boring. But what if we make them fun? Which is how I took the training Adventures in Ethics, which oh, no. is a uh, jungle adventure themed oh, video no. game where you travel around an island collecting different ethic themed badges like timekeeping and not punching your supervisor. <laughs> and you get to pick your own character at the start, which is just five schlubby people and you hover over them. And Schlubby. Yeah, well, they're just they're like regular looking people. It's not like it's like, well, you could pick the rock or this dragon. It's like, you know, three dudes, two chicks. And like every time you hover over one of them, it's like, I'm ready to go on this adventure. Except I picked the one guy that when you hover over them, he's like, hey, sup? <laughs> I was like, that's the kind of attitude I want going into my jungle adventure. Hey, sup? And, uh. I found it very amusing because this this charade lasted a grand total of about five minutes until you get to like because it, it sends you to a map like a video game. They're like, pick which location you'd like to start in. And like some of them, it's like, hey, this is like an ancient Mayan ruin where you go to learn about like how to not abuse charity work offers stuff that I don't Jesus know why <laughs> that's in there. But it all falls apart when one of the stores is on the island. Because they have to just teach you shit about the store. <laughs> so they, they're like, we couldn't really justify how a time clock was going to be on this ancient mythological island. So there's just a target there, whatever store it is. 
And I was like, I love that someone put so much work into trying to theme this whole fucking adventure. And at the last second, they were like, um, uh, how do we teach? I don't know. How do we teach them about timekeeping? Fuck it. Just make sure there's a target they can go to where they can use a computer so they learn how to lock away sensitive information. Put your um presence crystal or time card into the sundial or punch clock now should you miss the twilight hour in which your source crystal would be marked by the sundial make sure to fill out a pco timekeeping edition sheet and have your manager side and I'm like you're putting quotes around everything a lot of these are just your terms now <laughs> they're like oh no watch out for that arrow Phew. by punching your time in correctly you avoided a poison arrow to the throat <laughs> please collect your timekeeping badge that's a very threatening way of getting someone to show up on time <laughs> I, I, there's something just so enchanting about how much work was put into the presence of it and how quickly it was abandoned <laughs> Well, all right. So, <laughs> so guys, we've read a couple of weird horror manga for this month of Halloween month. Um, but to close things out, we are going to be doing a suggestion which is Halloween themed. Uh, there's demons and stuff. Yeah. There's a this lot is, of blood. This is honestly probably the most disturbing manga we've read for Halloween month. So I'll in certain ways, yes. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about series that we promised that we would catch up on and add to the recap because you fuckers voted for it. Chainsaw Man <laughs> uh, series that I actually, uh, funnily enough, watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre for the first time less than a week ago. So there you go. Did it remind you at all of Chainsaw Man? Or vice versa? I, uh, no, not in the slightest. Because <laughs> the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is bleak, you know? Um, but I guess, well, I guess in a way, like, there's a lot of, you know, just rampant death and murder and in uh, both. Hmm. Uh, Chainsaw Man is far bloodier than Texas Chainsaw Massacre is. There's not a lot of blood in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Wasn't it just the one girl? In Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Or is it a group of people? There's a group of people, okay. but a lot of them are just like... Uh, <laughs> I, was gonna, I was going to say this proceeds right well into it. There's a kind of sense of weird, dark humor at times in both. Um, or if it's supposed to be disturbing at times, it's just kind of funny. Um, because the first people... The first people that uh, Leatherface kills are just these idiots that are like looking for gas and they stumble over to um, the, you know, cannibal family's uh, home and there appears to be no one inside. So they just like go in uh-huh. uninvited. It's like, hi, is anyone here? Hi. Is it's like there literally there is a trophy room in full view of the front door and then if you go a little ways to the side of that, you see the bone room where just a bunch of, you know, human bones are lying around everywhere. And it's just like, yeah, this looks like the great place to go and st- p- poke your nose around and stuff. And, of course, immediately 
like the first victim goes into the house. He's like, hey, is anyone here? And Leatherface just comes out and just goes, and then just pounds him on the head with a mallet. Just goes, <laughs> it's, just, it's just like, <laughs> and then he drags him off screen to kill him. <laughs> and so it's, it's, it's kind of funny like that at times. Um, I'm not sure where I was going with that. Um, Chainsaw Man is a lot like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Not really. They both have dark humor. There is there is that uh, between them. Um, there are definitely points in Chainsaw Man where it feels as though it's supposed to be both serious and a joke. But eh. OK, so to refresh your, you guys memories, if you don't recall, uh, we read the first few chapters of this series uh, early in the year when it uh, debuted in Jump, and I quite liked the first chapter. Uh, and then it kept going, and I realized this protagonist is a fucking idiot, and I hate him. And so I decided that we needed to stop reading it, or I was going to go completely insane from hatred. And then you guys decided, no, you're reading it. So here we are now. I guess I should also blame uh, Chris because he put that shit on the pole. So <laughs> <laughs> you did put it on the pole. <laughs> what was I supposed to not uh, do that? Is this all like an elaborate conspiracy? Uh, so we read it. And I have to say, uh, I said at the start uh, of this, before I had read any of the rest of the series, that one of two things was going to happen. One, I was going to just hate everyone as a result of having to put up with this shit some more. Or two, I was going to see what people seem to like about it. I am somewhere in between now as a result. Uh, it took me two hours to read the entirety of this series. and went by very quickly. Um, and as a result of reading so much of it so quickly, I got to see kind of, I think, why this series is caught on. And I have some thoughts on that. Um, so I guess to give a little bit of a refresher to people, the series is about killing demons. Um, demons inhabit this world. They're devil hunters. Uh, our main hero, Denji, starts off the series being this guy who is in debt to a bunch of people. Um, he's even, like, sold his eye and some of his... Uh, organs in order to help pay off this massive debt that he has incurred. And he's got this little dog devil that goes around with him named Pochita, who is also a chainsaw. Um, but he is betrayed by his debt collectors. Uh, and while when he is, and he's going to be killed off. And while he is dying, Pochita basically sacrifices himself bonding with Denji's heart in order to combine the two of them together. As a result of this, Denji becomes the chainsaw devil. And so he's got this chainsaw ripcord on his chest. And when he pulls it, he takes on this demonic form where he has chainsaws coming out of his limbs. And also his head becomes a chainsaw with a big toothy mouth. Speaking of which, one of my favorite parts of the series is just the design of the type of devil that Denji is. Uh, we see a couple more of them show up later and they're based around, you know, different kinds of weapons. There's a sword devil. Uh, there is a very recently a bomb devil. Uh, and I like the way that they look um, because they've got the weapons coming out of their arms and legs. And then their head is just also the weapon. And it's like, all right, that, that's funky looking and cool. 
So Denji ends up getting recruited by this devil hunting organization that works for the government. Um, and he agrees to work with them because it means that he will have food and a home. And one day he'll get to touch a girl's boobs. So I still don't like this about Denji. Um, there are multiple times when this weird goal of his are examined. And those are the moments when Denji is most likable. Uh, when he starts to go like, maybe my dream isn't all that great. <laughs> you know? I I'm just a horny teenager who wants to touch boobs. Um But there are other times. This is a weird series, okay? I have an opinion of why it's caught on. And I think that that is because for the past several years, there has been a bleach-sized hole in a lot of people's hearts. And this, more than any series that has come and jumped since, most matches bleach. It's not a perfect one-to-one comparison, but there are a lot of similarities that I see. There is the guy who kind of is recruited by this organization in order to kill these monsters. And he's not really interested in doing it for itself. But he has his own reasons for uh, wanting to put up with it. And that's why he has agreed to do it. Um, he's a little bit deeper than uh, he seems to be when given that first glance. He takes on a form that has a weird demonic head and is really, really super powerful. A lot of people get their arms cut off and it doesn't mean anything. Uh, that kind of thing. So, And also, there's a lot of action that doesn't really get explained while it's happening. And it's actually kind of refreshing. Um, I literally was thinking about this, trying to think of like every series in the recap that we go through. I think that the only series that really approaches the level of things happen and you have to wait for the explanation of how things work, if you get one at all, is The Promised Neverland. And even then, you've got the stuff like this is what their plan is or this is how this, uh, you know, organization works, that kind of thing, which you don't get like anything of in Chainsaw Man. And as a result, it stands out among others. And I'm talking about in terms of like whenever someone a new character shows up in My Hero Academia, you get their this thing that's like, this is their quirk and this is how it works. When someone shows up in One Piece, it's like, this is their devil fruit and this is how it works. Um, and James and is just like, no, things happen and you just kind of have to go with it. And I think that's kind of refreshing and it helps it to stand out. So, so I'm not entirely on board with the bleach comparison. Uh, you say it, and I can kind of see a small bit of it. Uh, but truth be told, I, I think the big difference that sort of keeps them separate is that there there seems to be a very notable level of self-awareness that Chainsaw Man has that kind of keeps it from being bleached. Like, if it didn't have true, it, true. I would kind of see it a lot more. But Chainsaw Man seems to be very aware of how silly it is at times how awesome it is at times and how willing it's going to be to do dark humor uh we mentioned that towards the start and this is definitely a series that is 
despite there being the promised Neverland where it's like kind of children being eaten a lot of time, I still think this is probably the darkest series in Jump, just in terms of how willing it is to just yeah. at times people just die. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, there's there's points where it almost you think you were reading like Terraform Mars or early uh, Attack on Titan, where you're just like a lot of characters are kind of just like very quickly dying, but it's never to that level of like bleak nihilism almost or anything like that. Usually when a character dies, there is some kind of story relevance to them dying and characters do change. Uh, No, in, in, in Chainsaw Man. Oh, okay. Uh, So there's these levels of a character may spontaneously die. uh, Mm -hmm. But then usually you get some characters either saying, huh, that person's dead. I'm sad. Or, I don't feel sad that person's dead. Why don't I feel sad about that? Mm-hmm. So you get those moments there. But then the other half of the series is absurd, silly craziness of astronomic proportions. You can't talk about this series without mentioning Power, who mm-hmm. is sort of the tertiary lead slash secondary lead. It's kind of I would call her the I would call her the tertiary protagonist. Um she has probably gotten the second most screen time, mm-hmm. but she's gotten very little story beyond her introduction. Yeah. So, uh, but she almost always seems to steal the scene whenever she's involved because she's just this loud, selfish gremlin of a person who is so very excited to just murder and destroy. And it's, it's, it, it's charming in a way because we know there's humanity behind here. We find out what her story is. And just like Denji, her, like, motivation is just as simplistic and kind of almost innocent in how, like, straightforward it is. He's like, I want, I love my fucking cat. I want to get my cat and protect my fucking cat. And that's really kind of where her motivation begins and ends. But we get these great moments where, and I think I actually mentioned it when the chapter came out and Power got like, a bunch of nominations for MVP when they're storming a base full of zombies and they're riding up an elevator and they, the doors open. They're like, this isn't the floor we need to get off on, but power just leaps out and starts smashing everybody. And we immediately see the elevator doors close and Denji's like, all right, later. And she's busy shouting. She's like, die monsters. See Denji, look how cool I look. Look at me, smash everything. And you're like, I don't know how you can enjoy how much of a dumb idiot these characters are like Denji and power maybe take the cake for the dumbest characters that all have jumped so far, which is what makes the, there's yeah, there's a training arc that they get. Um, because things start to get really bad for the organization that they're in. And so they have to get stronger really quickly. So we have kind of a training arc. It's not really a training arc. It's like two chapters. Uh, but this, this older devil hunter shows up to train them and he keeps on kicking their asses over and over again. And they're, you know, they have devil power, so they regenerate no matter how much he butchers them. Um, and then eventually Denji's just like, power, this isn't working. Maybe we need to, like, think about how to fight this guy. <laughs> it's the greatest <laughs> moment, I think, so far in the series for me that the two of them get their shit pushed in and just murdered for an entire chapter, basically, because they're they're devils. So they kind of have a vague sense of immortality as long as they get blood they can regenerate and come back so the way this guy's training him is like i'm gonna keep killing you until you kill me 
So he just keeps murdering them. And at the end of it, they're like, I don't think this is going to work. Wait a minute. That dude drinks all the time. Yeah, he's a big booze hound. His mind's all rotted. So I guess we're going to have to be the smart ones here and put our minds together. And you watch this and you're like, you two are the dumbest motherfuckers in this entire series. There's no way this is going to work. And the scene that follows it is almost like a Tom and Jerry cartoon or something like that. Where they they try to get him and he just dodges everything. And eventually he's like, you guys did great work. I'm not going to bother killing you today see you tomorrow and then she's like huh i guess that works out and then like a fucking blade just hits him across no, the hallway no, never trust your enemy <laughs> it's fucking great like i was like this is a hysterical chapter it makes everyone look funny and cool like i don't know it's i, I think my favorite part in that whole sequence is that because power is uh, power is blood ma- manipulation um and so she said she's done this really smart thing by like essentially doing the bucket on the door trick, but with like a bunch of her own blood so that she can attack him uh, from above when he's at the door to his apartment. But he dodges that and then he takes out Denji who attacks him from behind. And then power just like suddenly collapses inside. And he's like, yeah, if you do that too much, then you just, you know, run out of stamina, you dummy. <laughs> so she's trying to do this. And she's like, Denji, did we get him? Oh, <laughs> that's like that's part of why i enjoy this series though is that it's it's willing to kind of place a joke on just about everybody and even though it does that the series isn't just a a joke of like well everybody in the series is stupid they kind of start tying it into the plot the whole thing is uh special squad four which is the group they're part of they note that they're like hey to be a part of this group you kind of have to be a little bit insane at because the very least prey on your fear so yeah and, and even if you weren't like any sane person would either probably have died because they wouldn't be willing to go all the crazy ways you need to to survive or they would have left and joined a safer job and mm-hmm. you kind of and we see that happen yeah yeah like we we see not only people doing that but we also see people and then people who we think are the normal ones you start to see like oh this is why they're kind of fucked up in the head too like this Mm -hmm. is why they're a little bit strange so like i i appreciate so much that there is a level of let's have fun with this let's be silly let's be goofy uh everyone can be stupid but this is all gonna tie back to something that does have actual narrative weight to it and these characters are grounded in a way that makes it so it's not just you know say black clover where everyone's silly all the time and then abruptly like one chapter it's like all right let's get serious for a moment guys yeah it's one of those things where it's like um there's a there's a joke in uh the tick in a couple of different versions which is you're not going crazy you're going sane in a crazy world um and it's like that in the sense that you know in order to get by in this world you have to actually match uh, the level of insanity that's going to be surrounding you in terms of you know horrible tentacle monster things trying to kill you and eat your blood and or you know prey on upon your fears and stuff like that um so a lot of weird shit happens and you just had to kind of be able to keep up in it but um so there's a couple of thing ways of dealing with that. One is to just be totally insane in, uh, in terms of like, you know, being an idiot the way that NG and power are. One is to be totally insane in like following this blood vengeance thing that Hayakawa's got going on. 
or you can just be super paranoid and uber prepared for everything like their boss, Makima, who is probably my favorite character in this series because she's just, you know, this imposing figure that, you know, nothing about that manipulates everyone around her and leaves nothing to chance and people die around her and she just keeps on going and doesn't seem to bat an eye at any of it. Every time you learn anything new about Makima, it just makes her more intimidating. Like mm. every time you she's discover scary. something, you're like, like <laughs> what fucking depths does this chick go through? Like, I don't know. It's crazy. But that's and she has maybe one of the coolest scenes in recent like battle shown in history where there's like a, a moment where everyone's being attacked and she survives an attack and she's like, give me well, a bunch of they, prisoners. They show her like with like a bullet hole in her skull. And, and I was still like, yeah, she's not dead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and sure enough, she, she, you know, a couple of chapters later just gets up and, <laughs> and kills them all. But like we see her like get out of that and she's like, get me 10 uh, death row inmates and a temple. And then we like cut over to the action happening and all of a sudden people just start getting fucking murdered from the sky and we cut over to her and she's it's doing like an that. invisible. Yeah, it's like an invisible giant is stepping on them. Yeah, we just face. yeah, we cut over and she's doing some prayer thing up in a, a, a shrine and these death row inmates are dying every time they say the name of somebody she's trying to kill. And you're like, I don't quite understand what's happening, but it's fucking awesome in this moment where it looks like nothing is going right for the heroes. The chat is going insane about me being wrong about this series. I'm like, yeah, whatever, guys. <laughs> I, it's not Bleach at all. It's like, you don't know Bleach like I know Bleach. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll say this. So one thing I've kind of come to realize about this series is I, I completely understand that this is a series that really doesn't have a great kind of in between between you're, you're kind of either with it. Or it's just going to be frustrating to you because it, it is kind of that. Sort I've of bounced back and forth so much. <laughs> <laughs> like I, it is. It does feel like something that's kind of got to be something you. I don't want to say you get because it always feels exclusionary, but like it's just something that it either works for you or it feels like it's just not going to in that moment, at least. So. It's weird because like, okay, so by the way, I, I want to tell you guys why I, I figured out why I hated the series so much at the start. So um, I did know about this when we were first reading through this uh, and when we stopped. But so, of course, Denji has Pochita and uh, Power has Meowie. Um. Denji a couple of times is compared to a dog. And no, it's just like that, like all the way through. Like Denji is totally fine with having a home and food and a master as long as he gets his one stupid desire, which is boobs. So he is just a dog. Power is happy being having a place that she can eat. And then she just does whatever the fuck she wants. She is a cat. I hate dogs and I love cats. <laughs> Therefore, I hate Denji. That's why. And you can like Denji if you like. I'm not a dog person. I'm just going to hate him. And the best moments that Denji has are when he thinks for a moment the way that dogs never fucking do about anything. So there you go. 
That's why I don't like Denji. That's fair. You know what? And all the moments where he's just like, I really want to touch booze. Like, just stop eating your own shit, dude. Just stop eating your own shit. Okay. And he's like, the boobs are a metaphor. I know they're a metaphor. He's still a piece of shit. His solution for dealing with a guy that's killed their entire group is let's kick this guy in the balls over and over oh and over. Oh my God, it's the best moment though. Because the one shot you see is them clearly not kicking him in the balls at all. It's clearly like kicking him in the face. The <laughs> like, what are you doing? I hope it was completely intentional that they were like, I'm kind of tired of kicking him in the balls. Now let's kick him in the face. Like this, this has happened after, like all the friends that they have made have just died. They have been assassinated, or they've given their lives to protect people. We have this big thing where, oh, I'm I'm gonna forget her name. Um, so Hayakawa's uh, old partner slash senpai, basically in the organization. I forget her name. Rumi, I want to say. Hiromi, maybe. Or was that the uh, younger girl? It was Hiromi that was his was his eye patch master lady, and then there's another girl who was part of their group that goes on the same mission. Uh, basically, Hiromi and Hayakawa and Power and Denji, and then two newer recruits to the organization, all go on this mission together, and things get bad. Himeno, that was her name. Thank you. They go things get bad because they're like trapped in this like alternate dimension, basically, where they can't get out Uh, They're So they're stuck on this the one floor of this uh, hotel and they just can't leave and they're going to slowly starve to death unless they kill Denji, basically. And instead, Denji goes and just fights the demon that's on the floor and he just goes over and over and over and over again, just killing it constantly. And he can't kill it because its core isn't there. And you just and you kill a devil by destroying its core. And its core is outside of the place space that they have access to. So he keeps on shopping up these tentacles and mouths and things. And it keeps on trying to kill him. And he keeps on just drinking his blood, which is how devils get their power. And so he's like, I've invented a perpetual motion machine, basically. And he just keeps on going. And his plan is just, I'm going to keep on attacking this guy until it's begging me to kill it. And that's what happens. He goes for like three days just chopping this thing up until eventually it's just like, here's my core. Please just kill me. <laughs> and that's how they get out. But as a result of that, everyone's been pushed psychologically to their limits because they've spent several days trying to figure out what they should do to get out. Should we sacrifice this? Should we sacrifice that? Should we kill Denji? Uh, but they get out of it. And they're like, all right, we, we did. We, we bonded together and, and uh, we managed to pull through this. Let's go drinking to celebrate. We introduced to some more other new recruits and stuff like that. Makima shows up and uh, Denji ends up going off with Himeno because Himeno's just also troubled, you know, the way that you have to be in order to be a devil hunter. And she's like, hey, Denji, and she's already thrown up in his mouth by this point, I should say. Um, And so... Denji is in love with Makima, like full on. So he doesn't want to do anything with Himeno, even though she's a hot lady girl with boobs, which is the, his favorite thing in life. Uh, so he rejects her advance. Then she wakes up and she's like, wait, you're 16. Shit, that would have been bad. And it's like, this is really creepy. But anyway, moving on. So instead, 
they actually have this really kind of sweet moment where he knows like, well, I'll tell you what, I will help you to try and, you know, we'll hook up with Makima if you'll try and help me hook up with Ayakawa because she's in love with him. And so they're like, okay, deal. And they become buddies basically. Um, then they all get assassinated. Basically. It's like everyone except for Denji, uh, Makima, Hayakawa, Power, and uh, the younger recruit girl who went on the mission with them. Who it turns out is a crazy badass, but she just didn't really get a chance to show that while they were on the mission together. But she survives the assassination attempt, too. And there's like one other guy who survives the assassination and he immediately is like, yeah, I'm getting out of here. I quit. This is dangerous. So as a result of that, they've all got to deal with all these people that were close to them just suddenly dying all at once. Uh, and Denji has this really big moment of uh, of self-reflection because he's like, I don't really know how I feel about this. You know, this there was this girl and like, I mean, we were just starting to get along and all of a sudden now she's just gone. And but I'm not really super broken up about it like uh, Hayakawa is because I was nearly close to her. But, you know. She was kind of like the first like person I was really just getting along with, because even though he spends a lot of time around power, he and power aren't really friends because they're a dog and a cat. And that takes a while to actually get them to live under the same roof kind of thing, um, because power is crazy. She keeps on doing stuff like saying, like, yeah, OK, well, let's kill Denji eh, or not. You know, she's just kind of fickle that way. So they have to have, decide what that really means to them. And then, um, of course, they've got to take out the people that were trying to kill them. Makima kills most of them. And then they end up going after um, sword dude guy. And uh, Denji cuts him in half. And he survives because. Uh, and they've got him, like, propped up against the wall of this train. And... Um, They have a ball kicking contest to make themselves feel better. They're just going to kick him in the balls over and over and they kick him in the face instead because that makes sense. And they're crazy. Yeah, I mean, to, to give a little bit more context to it, every part of it that seems like it's dramatic too is still kind of laced with Denji's overwhelming kind of idiot personality like even when he's thinking about oh all these people have just died he thinks about it when he's like why don't i feel bad about her being dead would i feel bad if Aoi died no nah, probably not would i feel bad if power died no nah, fuck no she tries to kill me all the time she has to kill me all the time i bet I also she doesn't also she doesn't flush the toilet and she doesn't bathe <laughs> <laughs> he's like but i bet i'd feel bad if if makima died. like we see like a little bit of that that glaze there. We see kind of how Denji doesn't really have a good way of dealing with most of his feelings. The only like true relationship he has is this extremely codependent one on Makima where he wants to do everything possible for her and she just gives him a little bit of affection every now and then to kind of keep him going on and you can't tell if there's any genuine care on her be on her behalf or if she's just playing the chess master as she seems to do in every other way. So his way of kind of dealing with it is to just get out his energy. And uh, Aoki has the same thing where he, he just lost somebody he knows 
and it's kind of been stressed over the arc. It's like, yeah, all these people are kind of insane in their own way. They're like, but he doesn't seem insane. And then you finally kind of get to this moment when you're like, yeah, no, he's kind of just as fucked up as everyone else. And he takes this on himself. He's like, hey, you're the person that cost me this person I cared so much about. And he has this cigarette in his hand and everything. And he's like, no, fuck you. I'm going to kick you in the balls over and over again. Sounds fun. Also, it's weird that, like, as time goes on, Hayakawa just, like, becomes more stereotypically rival character-y. Like, they're like, he starts off with this sword that will, like, um, draw on his power, uh, like, draw on his lifespan in order to unleash tremendous waves of power. Uh, And also, he has this fox demon bound to him that will appear and, like, bite into whatever he, like, clenches his hand around. Um, But then uh, they get their asses kicked and they're like, well, your fox demon is like you misused him, so he doesn't really want to work with you anymore. And uh, that sword's not going to cut it anymore because, you know, you're going to run out of life force. So we need to take you to another devil to make a contract with. So let's get you some Sharingans. <laughs> it's fucking one of the best scenes, though, too, because they take him down. And they're like, you must meet the future demon. The future demon will show you the way. And then they open the door and it's just this dude like chained up. And he's like, the future rules. The future rules. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, he's so weird and over the top. You're like, man, I can't fucking like it, it's great. Like it's so weird and off the walls, but like that's what makes it so memorable to me. Cause you could have been like the hidden, like, I am that which seeks to know the future and I will hang out in this cell and judge from afar. And then they go in and it's this big fucking goober team and it's like, the future rocks. <laughs> See, in the next cell over, that was where uh, they were having a guy hang out that was just like, anime will save the universe. <laughs> uh, so we, we're, we're going a little long and we have a lot of series to talk about. So I don't, I don't want to mm. spend too, too much time, especially since we're going to be adding this series to the recap. So I'm sure yeah. some of the other stuff will come up over time. Um, but as I kind of mentioned, I, I totally see why some people aren't going to be into this series. I think it it has a tone and a particular kind of cadence and just a general energy that some people aren't going to be able to get. You know, it's not like this is, say, um, like a Naruto or something like that, where it's just like, it's pretty, like, for everybody. I'm sure there's a word accessible for everybody. This one, mm-hmm. it feels like you kind of have to be able to get into it to enjoy it. And if you're not... You, there's really not kind of a way to break through it because it is so much of what it is. Yeah. Um, so, God, what's her freaking name? In recent chapters, we've gotten this girl oh, that Reze? has kind of... Bef- yeah, she's fucking awesome. <laughs> I, I was so confused at first because out of nowhere, this this female character shows up to be a new love interest for Denji. And I was like, mm-hmm. this is kind of weird. Where is this kind of came from nowhere? And then there's a bunch of chapters. And then there's a the guy who's going to use her. He's like, I, he's got to, you know, he's going after Denji. And the best way to do that is to attack the heart. And so he goes after his new girlfriend. And then she just puts him in a chokehold and chokes him out while singing a Russian song. <laughs> and then turns out she's one of the people with a demon heart. Yeah. She's the bomb lady. And you're like, holy yeah. shit, this is fucking dope. So sometimes this series is fucking great. And other times want to touch boobs. 
And I don't care if it's like, oh, it's no, because it's about how dreams can be simple. It's no, it's fucking child and it's stupid. Okay. And as long as he's on this, on this train of like, I really want to touch Makima's boobs or whatever, just get, get over it, stop it. You know, if the point ends up being he's got to love things other than just plain old boobs, great. But stop fucking. You can't tell me that there's more to the bo- series about boobs than, you know, touching boobs when you have an entire chapter discussing like how great touching boobs are, but you have to get to know the girl first. Or he grabs freaking power lets him grab her boobs and give them three squeezes to pay off her debt to him. And the first is a joke because she's wearing padding. So he squeezes the padding instead. And then he squeezes her flatter boobs. And she's like, ah, okay, that's done. And then he's like, that wasn't nearly as great as I thought it would be. And then he goes to Makima and is like, I finally got this thing that I really wanted, but it turns out touching boobs isn't all that great. She's like, well, touching boobs actually feels a lot better if you get to know the girl first. And she like kind of like makes out with him a little bit without really making out with him. And then she lets him touch her boob and he's like, oh, that's so great. And yeah. Stupid. Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Nick, do you know what the fuck this is? Uh, I could tell you, but I don't want to spend the three sentences necessary to talk about it. Okay. Hope it's not dangerous. Let's go into the recap portion weekly manga recap. Let's do it. Yes. My Academia, chapter number 248, one thing at a time. Uh, Everyone is going off to train with Endeavor and stuff. Um, Deku is thinking about what he's got to do with his quirk. Uh, but it turns out currently they are too slow to keep up with Endeavor and the rest of his hero agency. So they don't So they don't uh, manage to get there in time in order to make a difference. Bakugo makes the excuse that it takes some extra time to fire up in winter. And... Uh, Todoroki's like, did you notice Bakugo? And Bakugo's like, as if you'd ever notice something I couldn't. And he makes a weird face. He's just like, eee. Um, Todoroki says that every time that Endeavor dashes forward, he shoots fire out of his feet. Uh, so it's basically like a condensed version of his jet burn in order to drive him forward. And he points it out because, one, he has the same powers and Bakugo has a similar sort of ability with his powers. And Bakugo's like, oh, you're ripping off my explosion move? And they're like, Endeavor's been doing this for like decades longer than you, but yeah, he's ripping you off. Okay. <laughs> um, Endeavor says that when Hawks helped him out back during the big fight with the new model Nomu. Yeah, he helped pick up his slack. But generally speaking, a hero's got to be able to handle any job on their own. If you're wondering, I noticed that the glass villain had his own flunkies earlier. And Bakugou's just like, Mick, shut up! Fuck off! I'm gonna say, like, we didn't make a difference in everything we talk about. Um, But Endeavor just kind of, like, calls him out. And says, hey, look, you came here saying that you wanted to know what it is that you're unable to do. And look, you move at a decent speed for where you're at right now. But you must realize you can't surpass me right now. 
don't make excuses like, oh, it's harder in winter. Uh, it doesn't matter if you show up late to a scene when, you know, lives are on the line. There's more than just like, oh, your school grades are at stake. Uh, so he assigns both Todoroki and Bakugo to basically do the same thing, to be able to build up and release their power so that they can properly move at a good speed. Meanwhile, while they're having this conversation about this stuff, he has stopped a truck that was going to run over some uh, some pedestrians, and um, they've moved on past that. And Deku is the only one left behind to, you know, try and get things settled between the driver and the woman who almost got run over. I, 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 just a little thing going on in the background. We're like, we're go- we're away, and Deku's like, please stop fighting. I was almost a little amused at the idea of like Endeavor being like starting to speech. He's like, oh, man, I really don't have a good way to end it. Oh, I can save this old lady. That's the perfect end of the story. We're saving lives. <laughs> uh, we get a little bit of a time skip and they're eating lunch on a roof somewhere. Um, Endeavor is giving some more advice to them in terms of controlling their quirks and stuff. He points out to Deku saying like, hey, you know, you can max your output for a second, but can you do that subconsciously? And Deku's like, well, I mean, I can subconsciously use full cowling by this point, but to use my air force, I need to focus. And Endeavor is like, okay, whatever you call your fucking powers, whatever. Anyway, just keep on practicing using them so that you can use them second nature and forget about the secondary ability. And he's just like, just learn to do a bunch of stuff and Look, everyone does things, complicated tasks subconsciously. Look, and he actually is a really great uh, metaphor of like, hey, you see that guy driving there while he's yawning. (laughs) But basically his point is he didn't wake up one day just knowing how to drive. But by this point, driving is second nature to him. So, you know, even a task that doesn't come naturally to you, if you practice it enough, then eventually you will learn how to do it very, very easily even without thinking about it. So uh, no matter how complicated and strong your power is, you've got to just build up a foundation where you can do that uh, through steady diligence. Um, So practice. That's it. He's like, you've learned in the classroom, but now this is the real world training, blah, 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 blah. Um, So Deku processes all this and also thinking about how, you know, the stuff that he's learned from All Might, from uh, UA and stuff like that, uh, but he's just going to keep on going at this point. A week passes. We don't see what happens during the course of that week. But a week after this point, uh, Endeavor gets a call from his daughter, Fuyumi, asking to um, him to bring Todoroki and company home with them so that they can eat dinner together. Hmm. Another attempt at the family dinner. So we'll see how this goes. It was a pretty short chapter this week. So. Yeah, makes sense. Not a whole lot ha- really happened in it. Um, it's really just like, this is how you're going to train your powers. This is the most fascinating part of My Hero Academia, right, guys? This is what you come to see. This intimate discussion of how powers work. There were cool mom- moments here and there, sure, but it was, eh, all right. I mean, I do like the speech. It makes sense. Like, hey, don't make excuses. Maybe things are hard for you, but the ultimate factor here is you're doing everything to save lives. So, yeah, you know, it- it's a good mom- moment. Um, we're getting some more detail for these characters. You know, it works. Don't be don't be so selfish, Bakugo. It's like, you know, telling a bird not to fly. But, you know. All right. 
Let's talk about Eden Zero Chapter 67. This was so close to being a good chapter. And instead, it's a really bad one. <laughs> so, uh, somebody to love, Chapter 67. Mora uh, has had her mother, Lady Kuranai, Madame Kuranai, thrown at her feet. And mm. the entire crowd is like, what's she doing here? Hey, that's the one who did everything. Let's get her. Let's pay her back. Let's go. Like, big, big rallying cry going. And Shiki's like, hey, guys, hold up. Why don't you let Hamora decide what to do with her? And everyone's like, what the fuck? Why should we? And uh, Pete, I want to say his name. like, well, hey, you know what? Scott Dawson. She, yeah. no, well, no, no, well, no, 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 not, not Scott Dawson. Scott Dawson's the one that gets them all to yeah. agree, but Pete's the one who uh, yeah. starts pa- it. The panty Paul. guy. Paul. 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 Whatever. Paul. Uh, he's like, I- I'd bother remember it, but I feel like this character is never going to show up again beyond this point. Paul's New like, member of the crew. <laughs> we need a thief. It's like a, a space thief. Is that like a required position? Paul's like, hey, you know what? The kid kind of just saved everybody here. So why don't we give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt? And everyone's like, yeah, but she's really fucked with us. Like, this is a really big thing. We kind of want some say in this. And Scott Dawson's like, no, it it is her mother. She was Valkyrie's mentor or mentee. This is this is for her to decide. So, you know, hey, we're going to leave it to you, but don't do anything you're going to do out of pity. We'll honor your decision no matter what. Everyone agrees. So I never realized how bizarre Homura's not Homura's uh, Kuranai's hair was until it started to get, you know, shaken into a more natural form. Then, then you just kind of realize, like, how much hairspray does this woman use? <laughs> 99% of the uh, profits of the kingdom go to hairspray. <laughs> it's it's a real bad economy. Uh, so, Kuranai is obviously like, oh, wow, look how much you've grown. Oh, untie me and let me hold you in your arms. It's you the know? most obvious ploy. <laughs> and Hamora takes out a little scanning device, a storage device, rather, that, like, brings back this teddy bear that she I once had. I don't know if we've seen this function used before in the series. I would not be surprised if we have, but we haven't seen it in a while, at the very least. But what a convenient device to, to have this would be. Just like, yeah. here, just press some buttons and you've got infinite pockets. I feel like um, maybe we saw Rebecca use this once. But at the same time, I feel like I, I've seen Rebecca use like a handful of gadgets that never show up again. <laughs> so who knows? Exactly. Uh, so more like, yeah, this was a gift from my mother. You know, it's the one thing that kind of connected me to her. Do you not recognize it? And Lady Carter's like, uh, yeah, sure. Sure. She's like, no, you clearly don't. Uh, pulls out her sword and is like, this was the one thing that connected me to my mother. And it's been severed. So, you know, Karen, I think she's going to be killed. She's begging for her worthless life in the, uh, in the words of the Fallout 4 mutants. And Amora has this line where she's like, you know, you're not ready to die. Well, those who died because you've surely felt just as you do. And she lifts up her sword and swings, but instead of cutting her head off, she severs the ropes uh, that are tying Kuranai's hands back. And Kuranai's like, oh, she's forgiven me. Oh, what a gentle, kind girl you are. And she's like, I have no interest in you. Basically gives the whole, you might be my mother speech, but you're not my mom speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, and saying, hey, I now realize. He may have been your father, but he wasn't your daddy. He may have. It wouldn't have been your pappy. I was trying to think. I was like, how did Michael Rooker say it? And how do I equate that to uh, the other gender verbiage? Eh, fuck it. Whatever. She's not your mom. 
uh basically says like hey i realized that valkyrie was my mom she was the one who gave gave me all this love and i had her and that's the one i needed so i bear no anger resentment or sympathy and honestly i just want you to kind of leave and never come into my life again and Karanai's like, yipes, and fucking gets away, and everyone's smiling. And at first I was like, this is kind of weird. She kind of gets away, kind of scot-free from really just destroying the economy of this world right, and being right. a tyrannical sort of monster. Oh. She's not going to be punished for her crimes at all or go to prison. There, there's really no comeuppance for it. Well, hold on. <laughs> Two pages later, she's running. Be careful what you ask for, Chris. <laughs> she's running through the forest, thinking, "Ha, what a small setback! I can't wait to get back on the thing." And then she gets fucking blasted in the face by a baseball bat, and the guy whose face she burned is there with like a fucking steel mask, and he's just like, "Hey, take her away! You know what? You were gonna make me your pet, but from now on, you're gonna be our pet." Hey, that's what they call karmic retribution. You know, like, I don't know why it worked. Like it was, I was for a moment. I was like, man, it feels like she's gonna get away scot free. And then the next one was like, I don't know if a sex slave for the rest of her life was the appropriate no, punishment. No, uh, this is what I was referring to. Is like literally in like, honestly, this one page. Like if you go to page uh, eighteen. At the where, you know, it's just, you know, Cedric standing over her with the bat and she remembers who he is and the fact that she burned his face. And that's why he's got the mask on. And then you have, you know, like just one more shot of him just glaring down at her. And then you cut away to the no, that'd be fine. Mm. Um, that this chapter would be great, I think, because you have Homura forgive her or not even forgive her just like cut ties with her without doing the cruel thing you have everyone who respected valkyrie's wishes continue to respect them by just acknowledging her decision and they've they've unseated this horrible tyrant over them and then she runs off thinks that she's going to get back on top and then you have the karmic retribution of one of the people that she has personally punished for no goddamn reason killing her basically instead she be is going to apparently become a sex slave. And it's like, okay, the fat furniture dude in the previous arc didn't get, you know, a bunch of people be like, oh, this guy is way sexier than you thought we thought he was gonna be. Let's make him naked and sit on him all day. It's like it's because she's a girl, and that's why she gets the sexy punishment or the sex slave punishment or the rapey punishment. It's gross and it's not cool. I don't care what she did. The fact that, yeah, she's going to be a sex lady now because despite everything, she's a hot lady. That's really gross. What's astonishing to me is we see that guy show up again. The guy who got his face burned and he's mm -hmm. like, he, he's part of like a, a biker gang or something, some kind of like punk group. And the way it's kind of framed, since this is, you know, the villain's comeuppance, is like, is he a hero for enslaving this woman for the rest of her life? I don't like, think it's like, really taking I, a position on that. I, I feel think like it actually that... is, though, because we're seeing him in not like in a heroic light. Like, I don't think hero is not the right word, but that we're not supposed to see this guy 
as the same guy who had all the women kept his furniture in his place. Like, this is a monster who needs to be stopped now. Just in the same way that that guy on Gilst needed to be stopped. All right, this is a bad thing to, to do. And, I mean, it would be one thing if he just killed her. That would be a bad thing, too. You know, he's just it's just like, you know, vengeful murder. It's like, that's not really a great thing. But you could at least be like, all right, you know, she got what she deserved in the end. But I think that it's really just a gross message to send to be like, oh, yeah, she, she, you know, that woman thinking that she could have a position of power. She got raped in the end. That's what she deserves. It's like that's that's just not cool. It's just a very strange moment where I feel like as the audience, the expectation is that we're meant to be cheering along. Yeah. You exactly. deserve to be a sex slave for the rest of your life. Any punishment. Like, I don't know. Now I feel kind of bad for her. This feels like really weird and uncomfortable. And it's not the end of the chapter. It's like sandwiched between these emotional moments. Yeah, because there's more to the chapter after that. And we kind of finally, it's a really weird thing. And then you got to kind of be like, okay, here's everything, you know, coming all together as Homura's like actually just flat out calls Valkyrie her mother. And then it's like, oh, we got to get back into this. And I really just wish that this one moment had just just changed this one page and take out a bunch of the panels and change some of the dialogue. And you've got a great chapter all the way through. And instead, you've got this one moment that disrupts all the other good stuff in it completely. I really wish people could have seen me live read this one because it really was a moment. I was like, yeah, it feels kind of weird. She's kind of getting off scot-free for everything. And then like two pages. You fool, you jinx this. Two pages later, like, I don't know if she deserved that. <laughs> uh yeah she ends she calls valkyrie her mother and uh thanks her for everything she did mm -hmm. so now we're gonna have to find out uh presumably uh soon what's going to happen in terms of uh what they're going to do if they don't have the fourth emperor um because without her they can't you know go out into the cosmos or whatever and stuff so are they gonna do a workaround or, or whatever and so we got some aftermath to follow up on from beginning to end this was actually a pretty good arc uh, of Eden Zero. I think it's probably the best that it's been so far. It ended on a really disturbing note, um, but there was a lot to like about it. So I'm actually beginning to like this series a little bit. And, and, and at the very least, I do look forward to talking about it each week. So that's nice. Yeah, you're alone on that. I thought this was a shit arc. <laughs> okay. Beast Children! Oh, God, we still talk about that sometimes, don't we? Kind of. <laughs> they tied the game. Then Yukito kicked the field goal or whatever you call it in rugby. So they took the lead again. And now it looks like uh, Shishigaya's team's going to lose. But they tied it for a bit. That was the chapter. All right. Samurai 8, The Tale of Hachimaru. Chapter 24, Hachimaru versus Ryu. Rematch. Remember, guys, we've, we've, we got the message last time that... Hachimaru is really good at fighting because he's good at video games. <laughs> we got to continue that point in this chapter. It, what's weird is we had to kind of double down on it. We're like, really? we had to like be like, oh, well, he got messages about how laggy his game was and stuff like that. I mean, you don't have to wonder. You're like, so was Dharma like intentionally kind of looking at the game? He's like, I have to balance characters and weapons and numbers all around what Hachimaru is doing because if he gets too broken, he's not going to learn enough. Um, so 
Hachimaru and Ryu are having their rematch. This time, he's Hachimaru is going to actually work together with An and Hayasaka in order to, you know, be at full strength, which Ryu doesn't have. So kind of un- unfair, honestly. Um, Dharma, however, is going to just, you know, sit back and actually see, you know, w- what's going to happen. Um, and uh, so they fight and sword slashes, slashy, slashy, slash, slash. Uh, Hachimaru gets his sword arm chopped off, but he does have his other hand. And so he starts to draw his backup blade, his Wakizashi, I guess you could call it, but it's not really. Uh, but, uh, Ryu just stomps the sword into the ground so that he can't actually attack with it. So Hachimaru has a flashback while Ryu slashes down at him. And, uh, so Hachimaru's flashback is him winning a game. And then he got gets a message from his opponent, and he's like, "I wonder if this is a friend request." How and he's like, "Fucking long has this little dickhead been playing video games?" That he's like, "I got a message from my opponent. I bet this is a positive, like, meeting of friendship that's gonna happen." Oh no, us. he just called me the N word five <laughs> times. <laughs> I told you about. I think I've told the story before. My brother was playing uh, online chess. And, like, when you play it single player, they just rank everybody by the pictures, and the lowest one is a monkey, whose, like, strengths is makes random moves, and my brother lost to the monkey in fool's checkmate, <laughs> and then he... <laughs> Whatever you ask, you're like, do you still play? He's like, no, nah, one time a 12-year-old beat me and then called me the N-word, so I, I never played it again. <laughs> and I, I can't imagine... What, like, goes to your mind when you're playing chess, you lose to a child, and they call you the N-word. You're like, I don't know how to react to this. I don't know how to structure this around my day. So, I have a little story to tell about this. So, there are various different programs that you can use to play Yu-Gi-Oh! online. I haven't done it in years. Uh, Basically, ever since, like, before Pendulums, really. Uh, So, it's been about five maybe six years ago that this incident occurred uh it was actually when we were going to play Yu-Gi-Oh on the podcast uh and so i was testing a deck out in order to, to do that so i built a skull servant deck and the other guy had black uh black wings for those of you who have no familiarity with Yu-Gi-Oh, basically the guy was playing a slightly outdated very meta deck and i was playing not a meta deck and so uh, I do some stuff and I, I I beat the guy and then he just sends me a message. And it's just like, your deck is so noobish, lol. And then he disconnects. And I'm like, I beat you. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> There's almost nothing. And that's what this is like, because the guy's like, your connection is so like, it's like, Hachimaru beat you. <laughs> I don't know. Some people find that justification. It's great. It's that weird thing that, you know, because people can be such assholes when they're communicating online because they don't have to deal with the consequences of being a dick. So the guy just, you know, just like, I bet you only beat me because you're a loser who doesn't do anything else all day. It's like, well, you did lose a direct, you know, measurement of skill in this particular thing to them. So, yes, there are probably some reasons that you lost. How's that? Whatever. You're just saying, like, I don't really care, even though you cared enough to send a message insulting him. Anyway, this is the most accurate real world thing in Samurai 8 to date. (laughs) So anyhow, 
Hachi, the, the thing about the message is it's not like he it's not like he actually calls him the N word five times. It's he's completely accurate in his description of of Hachimaru's life, which is why it stings so much. And those, you know, it's one of those things where it's like you get 99 comments that are just, you know, like you're an asshole lol. And then you get the one that's just like, damn it, that one was actually completely perfectly accurate through random happenstance. And it really affects me now. Fuck you. Anyway, Hachimura was upset about this, and he's so he dreams about, you know, getting out of there and being a real samurai. But, oh, he only had weak supports and and he in order to prop up his ridiculous dreams. But then you see his dad come by and he wants to, you know, put him put the drip seed in uh, the drip feed in. Rather, uh, he was the only truly form support I could rely upon. And at that time, I thought that if I ever lost him, I would be left completely helpless, unable to do anything but crawl on the ground. But and then he thinks about Dharma and Hayasaka and Anne, and now he's got these new supports. And also he remembers when his dad gave him the extendo cane thing that he has in his arm, uh, the retractable cane. And so he's like, now look at me now. I haven't lost a single thing that supports me. And instead of a cane, he summons a cane sword from his arm. Uh, and he uses that to slash for you after he's had his other sword driven into the ground. So hidden blade, haha! And Hachimaru gouges him through the stomach, and he manages to defeat him. Hooray! And uh, Dharma is just like, I forfeit. And so Hachimaru, <laughs> it's it's very strange. Uh, just that, like we don't really ever hear about a retractable arm cane in Hachimaru's arm until this moment where it's the relevant trump card and everything you're like it kind of feels a little bit out of left field and then you're also very quickly like Jerome is like I can see and it's like all right now it's time to do this match you're like oh okay we just didn't have time for any of this (laughs) I I see what's happening Also, uh, yes, everybody saying the nice praying on thing is a great moment when you realize how fucking worthless she is. It didn't do series. anything. Where was the white blade on his cane sword? <laughs> uh, anyway, the guy who ran the tournament comes down from the moon. And he's like, I'm going to hunt that guy now. It's, oh, it's the big bad coming. Okay. Yeah. I don't even know this guy's name, but all right. He's um, the Lord Scaramongus. Sure. Yep. Why not? Moving on. Mission Yozakura family. Mission 10, Shinzo. I guess it's time that we actually got introduced to some of the other members of the family at this point. This this chapter is all about Tayo having a bit of a bonding time with Shinzo, the sibling in the Yozakura family who hides in the trash can all the time. Uh, I'll go through this pretty quickly because there's a bunch of, of... little points that happen. It's a very jokey chapter and I'm not going to go through every single joke. Um, the main point is that Shinzo is a real wuss when it comes to anything not related to shooting guns. Uh, and he actually uses like reciting the parameters of guns in order to calm himself down. Basically what has happened is that, uh, Shinzo was on a mission in order to retrieve a plate for printing counterfeit bills, uh, actually sent there by the police, in fact. And uh, he ran out of ammo, so now he's really nervous and he's called home. And Mutsumi is comforting him because she knows, I guess, everything about everyone and how to actually get them to work at their best. I think that's going to kind of be her thing. Um, 
she sends Tayo, who was practicing his disguises and asking her about how to fasten a bra so that he could properly disguise himself as a girl, uh, to go and back up Shinzo and uh, basically deliver a bento to him. Uh, so she's sent him with with lunch, some candy, a grenade and a pistol. And uh, so he delivers them. Shinzo is really happy to see Tayo. And uh, some people discover them in Shinzo's hiding spot. And Shinzo immediately kicks into action. He quickly fends them off and is really super confident again. Um, And he's actually given uh, Tayo a little bit of advice as they make their escape, which is shoot to wound when fighting a bunch of people instead of shooting to kill, because then they'll have to tend to their wounded when they're trying to chase after you. So Mm. makes sense. Uh, they almost make their getaway, but a sniper shoots Tayo through the leg. Uh, he is apparently a super big deal spy. Brankton, one of the one of the weekly spy magazines. OK. Uh, and he uses Tayo basically uh, as a hostage, pointing his gun at, at uh, Tayo's head to get Shinzo to give himself up. And he forces Shinzo to throw his pistol away. But Tayo remembers something that Mutsumi had told him, which was that Shinzo Really likes his weapons, but he'll let them go for something more important. When he, but then he can't protect what's really important. So make sure he always has one. Even if there aren't weapons, use something else. Something that's just as familiar. Even if it's something that's not usually a weapon. So Tayo throws him the fork that came with the bento. And Shinzo grabs the fork and he throws it. And he shatters the uh, lens on the sniper rifle. And then he picks up the pistol and he shoots... I think one bullet, which somehow causes the entire sniper rifle to explode at multiple points and knock the guy out. I'm not sure how that happened, but it did. Uh, and then he carries Tayo home and they have a little bit of a bonding thing. And, uh, and Shinzo actually refers to himself as Tayo's older brother. It's like, oh, that's nice. Not a great chapter, but hey, we got to actually get introduced to these characters. Um, hopefully more interesting stuff is actually done with them. Shinzo seemed cool. I got very confused because the first time I read this chapter, I got through the first page and then missed that Tayo explain or uh, yeah, Tayo explains like, no, I was just trying on women's clothes for a disguise. And I kept waiting to get to the end chapter be like, why was he trying to put on women's clothes? I couldn't. I was like, was there a payoff to this? It was just like abruptly like, hey, here's the thing he's into. There was a great little moment where Mutsumi's like, I guess I'll just support any hobby you have to is it's probably the best joke in it because it's not a really obvious setup and payoff. Honestly, there's a lot of jokes in this chapter that didn't really land for me, but I'm sure other people liked it more than I did. Also, I did not recognize Shinzo at first, specifically because he wasn't in his trash can. And then they and when they actually said he's always hanging out in his trash can, I'm like, OK, it is him. All right. <laughs> I was like, is there a sixth brother that I didn't remember? <laughs> All right, Nick, let's talk about We Never Learn. Question 133, a predecessor enjoys the passing pizza bet. So, this... so Something about the way that that one flows, <laughs> flows really well. So this chapter is all about the fact that uh, they, they get, it starts raining. Uh, Kirisu Senpai helps a bunch of the girls' softball team pick up some balls. Uh, Uega shows up and is like, here, let me help you out. She mourns the fact that she doesn't really like this time of the year because this is kind of when people start leaving. Uh, it rains. They get really wet. 
They hide off in the sports equipment closet. Shenanigans ensue. By the way, there's so there's certain things that you see a lot in manga that you don't really see in Western media, particularly because certain things are kind of like a standard uh, of like Japanese culture or infrastructure or stuff like that. And so I never see this, you know, people getting trapped in the rain and getting in the storage shed and it being locked or something along those lines, you know, being locked in the sports equipment shed, having to take shelter in the sports equipment shed and thus being trapped there because it's raining outside. I only see that in manga and anime. Is this a thing that actually happens regularly in Japan? <laughs> like, I have no idea. But similar to how we know that heroes kind of got like a BDSM fetish and everything like that, I think I'm finally able to come to the idea that uh, who who's we never learned uh, Susui Susui's got a wet clothes fetish because I feel like this happens like once every three weeks or something like that there's some like oh my clothes are wet you can kind of see my underwear underneath them that's half the joke of this fucking chapter a bunch of other girls come in as they hide underneath the pommel horse they take off their clothes Uega keeps her from making a loud sound sneezing by like hugging her they share a fucking moment at the end. This chapter's garbage, okay? I don't, there's not a lot to say on it. The one brief moment of, like, connection between them is in Uega saying, like, hey, you know, this time of the year isn't great, but I like midwinter. And in Japanese, that's a pun on Karasu's name. And for a brief moment, Uega thinks he glimpsed uh, an idea that he saw her as she was when she was a teenager. And that's it. Yeah, as if they were, you know, actually, you know, in an appropriate position where they could be in a relationship as opposed to one being a teacher and one being a student. Anyway, yeah, I get the I don't really have a lot to say about this chapter. I read it and it made no impression on me, which is rare for we never learn. Usually I'll say like this was really stupid or this is really nice. It tends to be one or the other. Um or, you know, it's really funny if it's a good if it's a good comedy chapter. Rarely will I read a chapter we never learned. Just be like, yeah, this happened. It's it, so it's it's an oddity uh, just for the series it comes from and the way that I tend to react to it. In the slightly grander scheme of things, we are very clearly coming down to the point of focusing more on the girl's romantic relationships or the potential romantic relationship uh, with Yuiga. And I get the impression that despite the fact that Fumino and Ogata are allegedly the two primary characters uh, out of the girls in this cast, that they have the least chance of <laughs> ending up with Uiga. Not in terms of like preferences or how their personal relationships are growing or anything like that, just in terms of the amount of focus and the way and their relationships uh being in focus with Yuiga don't seem to get as much attention as with Kirisu, with Aruka. Um, they're more along the lines of like with Asumi, but Asumi was the last of the important girls introduced in this series. Um, so I just get this impression just in terms of the way that Aruka and Kirisu have been portrayed and the way that Yuiga looks at them. I don't think that he's really looked at Ogata and Fumino that way. And I think that that's kind of like, well, these are the two popular characters in terms of this capacity with Yuiga. So we're just going to focus on them in that way. I don't know. 
I mean, I don't put a ton of stock into this since this was a chapter that had almost zero real, like, inner care. Like, usually these chapters are, like, fan service, fan service, joke, joke, fan service, and then, like, real touching moment at the end. And this one, possibly because it's a line that doesn't translate at all, but it just felt like I was like, this this was nothing. This was fucking trash. Who cares? Like, you kind mm-hmm. of get to the end of it, and you're like, ah, oh, this really wasn't a chapter worth kind of even thinking that much about. So... Maybe this is just the fact that Karasu ends up being the most popular chat character in the series. So she is, let's yeah. let's give her more chapters, and you yeah. kind of realize we've kind of covered most of her stuff at this point. Like, yeah, that's I, I think that that's kind of the thing. Yeah, I like you had to was, kind of really a few, stretch it. I was saying a few weeks ago that you know, I think it was you know just before. Well, no. I was saying about a character and I forget when I said it, that they seemed to not have that like focus going on with them. Um, when, you know, we had had the big thing with like Asumi's whole thing had been, you know, basically resolved in terms of where she was going to be, um, getting the whole thing settled and stuff like that. Kirisu has like arc after arc after arc. And yeah, I guess it is feeding into just like she's the most popular character. So keep on doing that. But eventually it's just like, well, you've covered so much ground already. And I get and it's kind of like eventually you're going to just kind of run out of material or if not run out of material, kind of. Maybe use up all the interesting ones to do with her. Yeah, I mean, like I I will give credit to Susui has has managed to to put together some interesting stories with all the girls but with karasu like i don't know if i can remember exactly what chapter this feels like exactly off the top of my head but i feel like i've read two similar to this chapter before with karasu where it feels like there's just nothing really new to grasp here anymore Mm -hmm. anyway so i'm sure that like you know by the end of well let's see yeah, let's play it safe and say by the end of next year, we're just going to have all five girls be like, I'm in love with you again. And then they'll, we'll figure this whole thing out or whatever. Um, but anyway, let's move on to Dr. Stone. It's time Z. to get stoned. Z equals 127 Medusa and Perseus. Before we get into this chapter, I should note that there was a bonus Dr. Stone chapter thing. It's a side story featuring Biakia. Um, there was actually someone who directly contacted us on Twitter. I forget who it was, yeah, and Liz- I'm not going to look in my Lizodiac, notifications. Zodiac, I believe, wasn't it? Zodiac, maybe. Who said, don't read the side story because it basically spoils who Y-Man is. It's like, I mean, there's one character introduced in the side story, so I guess it could be them. But then again, if... The only thing I'll say is, regarding the side story... Man, <laughs> Boichi's not nearly as good a writer as Inokaki is. <laughs> it's like, and there's a robot. There's <laughs> a fucking little robot shows up on the ship. It's like, Biakia built me. What? <laughs> Sir. <laughs> it's going to make the chapter where fucking uh, Senku decides to build a robot feel a lot less interesting. <laughs> Half the chapter is just... The freaking repeating ground already covered in the flashbacks in Dr. Stone. And this one is just like, by the way, I bought a robot. <laughs> so late. 
Okay, so there was a robot on the shell in space, I guess. Yeah, they didn't talk about it before. Why would you talk about a robot? Who Why would you? <laughs> Rocky Four got through the entire movie without bringing up that fucking robot again, and they've done three movies since then where no one's brought up the fact that Rocky has a robot butler. I'm sure that robot's still functioning 5,000 years later, guys. <laughs> Okay, so there's a great two-page spread to start this chapter. It's like a version of Dr. Stone with like space exploration instead of voyaging across the sea. Everyone's in spacesuits. Uh, it looks really cool. So it's time for the big confrontation where they're going to try and intercept the petrification device. Ryusui is at the controls for the drone, but Ibarra, it turns out, is already aware of their plans because he was using Kohaku's earring to listen in to radio transmissions. Uh, and he relayed uh, this to Kirisame. We find out exactly what he whispered to her before they set off before, which was to test Mose. And so she does so. Uh, in this, and we see that uh, we see Senku use his super fast calculation abilities because he's like something feels off, and he's like, oh, "I'll just do some quick calculations here," and he we just get this big, uh, like I don't know, three quarters of two pages spread of him with numbers flying next to his head as he goes mm, because this is how people do math, guys. Um, and so essentially, what he realizes is. With that trajectory, no matter where it activates, our group won't be the only ones in the light's radius. Did the always accurate Kirisama miss? There's no chance. From the start, this supposed petrification device is actually a decoy. So Senku warns everyone that they need to get to the lab uh, and be basically just orders a full retreat and they get uh, into the mobile lab. Meanwhile, Kirisame retrieves the actual petrification device from another one of her chest sacks. That sounds dirty, but they are, in fact, little tiny sacks that she keeps on her chest. It is the best chest. way to properly describe it. It, it really is. <laughs> also, they're flesh covered. So literally, when I opened up this chapter, I saw the color page. It was just like. Wait, what is the... Oh, okay. They're the bags on her chest. They're not her boobs. She has 17 boobs. She has so many boobs, you guys. And one star-covered boob. <laughs> you know, it's a fashion statement. Yeah. So she retrieves the real petrification device. Everyone gets into the mobile lab. Uh, Mose realizes what has happened and while Kirisame is looking at him. And Mose just says to himself, you meddling geezer, I'll get a chance to kill you later. For now, to make it seem like I wasn't part of the scheme, I'd better slaughter you and your pal, Senku. After all, that was always the plan. And so uh, everyone manages to escape into the lab. Basically, we just get in some narration saying that the reason that they were able to get through this, this crisis was because of their boundless faith in Senku's scientific judgment. And we get this big little this big panel of everyone kind of getting onto the lab, being happy and relieved. And also Taiju is driving. There's a weird little, there's like bubble. It's like Taiju's there too. I'm He's driving, driving the car, everybody. <laughs> I never got my license. <laughs> <laughs> so they managed to get to safety, but Moses chasing after them and they're like, Oh no. Uh, but yo, it's like, this is, 
I loved this so much. <laughs> so he was like, this is the perfect chance. Now that Moses is, is coming after us, I'll just use my trust, trusty pistol and we'll achieve perfect victory and become boss of the king. I mean, no, wait, no. Uh, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll kill Mose and definitely not take over the kingdom of science afterwards. And he whips out the gun and it's a stick. As turns out, I was right. <laughs> so yeah, hot take Nick was totally accurate about what Magma was doing in that one panel in the previous chapter where he was looking at, at Yo's gun and he has run off with the pistol. <laughs> and Gen is, is running after him. He was the only one who apparently realized what was going on. And Magma's approach to dealing with, with Gen was not to knock him out, but just to bop him on the head five times ineffectively. <laughs> you know, he keeps on running after him. I don't know why. I also like that. We know that Magma can, like, kill Gen. He almost did it once. <laughs> I also like that this proves how bad at his job Yo was. <laughs> that he was, like, a prison warden, and he gets his gun <laughs> stolen from him while he's sleeping with a cartoonish snot bubble coming out of his nose. Oh, man. So... <laughs> Yeah, Gen was the only one who saw what was happening. And he just punched him in the top of the head, and this somehow didn't stop Gen from chasing after him. Uh, and Yo's like, ah, not Yo, sorry. Magma's like, yes, the glory is all mine, and I'll win the cheese throw for myself. You people love your endless, boring, sneaky schemes, but since we've got this mighty weapon, all I gotta do is find their boss, that crusty Odibara guy, and blam, blast him, then we win. And Gen's like, it's not that easy, you idiots. And then they see the commotion going on with the mobile lab and most chasing it. But first they see, well, uh, Ibarra is stealing the Perseus. Just got everyone on board and they're using the sails to kind of float it away from the coast. And so everyone realizes that, oh, this is this is bad because they're going to use this to isolate everyone. And they're just going to hunt all across the island and we've got nowhere to escape to. What are we going to do? Um and we get, you know, Ibarra being really super triumphant because he's like, you know, this is very simple. We, you know, we bring everyone onto this enormous boat for an inspection. Since we don't know where on the island the invaders are lurking, we'll simply blast the entire island with the petrification light. And so they're like, we're in big trouble. And Seku's like, no, we're not, because this is the perfect chance, because now we can just do everything we need to do at once. The entire enemy kingdom and their petrification machine, too, we can just take it all. And it'll be a big help when our resident meathead Magma takes that gun, a scientific weapon still unknown to these enemies, and starts causing trouble, like the idiot he is. And so Magma approaches the coast, and he holds the gun gangster style. He's like, time to shoot him from here! <laughs> And Nick ends like, you're never going to make the shot from this distance. And Mamma gets this super badass look on his face as he fires and gets like, there is no way that you're going to hit. Stop trying to look cool. And that is the end of the chapter. Oh, dear. Uh, a very chaotic chapter. But these yes. are kind of where Inagaki always kind of comes through where there's you know, a lot of back and forths where we're like, shit, Abari's got everything. And then by the end of this chapter, like, wait a minute, Senku can maybe find a way out. And it's pretty exciting. I do love the moment of Senku saying retreat and not explain everything, but every single member of the Science Kingdom completely agrees 
and goes mm-hmm. with them and they're happy with it. It's it's a very yeah. sweet sentiment. That's showing that, you know, Senku may not care about being the chief or whatever, but he is a leader that everyone has their faith in because he has won them over through example time and time again. And so they trust him now. It's a very I mean, it's probably the mo- I mean, it's something that, you know, we talk about how, you know, there are parts of Dr. Stone that really remind us of uh, Aisha 21 in a lot of ways because Inakaki wrote both series. Um, and that feeling of camaraderie is something that you really, really got in both series. But we haven't seen a huge demonstration of that in a, in a long time for Dr. Stone. Uh, and I really liked it. It's very sweet. All right, Nick, let's move on to Seven Deadly Sins, Chapter 330, The Struggle. So uh, all of the various different commandments kind of collected together in this big black force are leaving Zeldris' body. And they're like, oh, what's happening? Oh, it's beginning to separate. And that's what happens. It's like a big boop. And we see Zeldris flying away and all the commandments flying somewhere else. And we see that basically like the commandments as a structure now are kind of what's left of the demon Lord. Now that he doesn't have a vessel. And he's like, no, I won't let you take this one. And he reaches like a, a shadowy claw to grab Zeldris. He's going to grab him, but bond snap. And you know, just yoink. He's the steel power. And he's like, got it. And, uh, you know, I love that. There's a little, you know, like reaction of, uh, the demon Lord's shadowy form in the background. You're like, oh, what the fuck? Let it go. Come on. Come back. Uh, there's a bunch of jokes going on. Bombay and like, you owe me a couple drinks. Uh, Melodius is, is like, Hey, you beat father. And Zeldris is so fucked up that he's like, yep, I did. It falls into Gelda's chest. And there's like-, like some jokes about it. <laughs> I like how Melius is like, wow, you're a booze man, huh? He's like, you're a fucking one to talk. You were burying your face in Elizabeth's booze when things were going okay. like <laughs> When you barely knew her. Uh, well, I guess he's always known her deep down in his yes. heart. Uh, but in this incarnation, it was very sad. No, it was bad. <laughs> they shouldn't have done that. So uh, the command, the demon lord's like, how dare you? Flies up into the sky. Uh, basically like Shenron, your wish has been granted dragon balls, well, the commandments away. Hold on. Right before he does that, he says, witness me. <laughs> he has a so, lot of great lines in this chapter. So Mad Max uh, moment there, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, splits himself into the different commandments that fly out in different directions. At this point, they're just grabbing onto anything they fucking can. They like Literally land in the ground. They'll grab onto deers and, yeah, that's what King's saying. He's like, the commandments are trying to take over every living thing they can right now and make it uh, a host. So now that Melodius and Zeldris have rejected him, he's just going to make the very ground of Britannia his new vessel. And that's what happens. The literal ground erupts forward and turns into basically a giant earthly Cthulhu monster that, like, rises up and reaches their little platform and just overlooks it kind of like a mountain with all these tentacles and hands and lightning crackling around him. Uh, it's a very scary image. Uh, uh, well, it's like, do you remember uh, in Bleach when Aroniero uh, unleashed uh, his true form, the Glotoneria, and it was the big tentacle mass thing? Mm-hmm. It's like that, except made of land and without a random handsome man with a trident on the top sticking out. Yeah, there's not that, unfortunately, yet. 
We, you know, Which, by the way, her. now that I think about it, there's a great fight in Bleach. It's like the last really good fight in all of Bleach, in my opinion. But when Rukia uses her like third dance thing to like stab his head, what, what, if you are a giant tentacle mass thing, why would you make your weakness? the little part of you that's sticking out like a video game boss. <laughs> uh, he was like, I got to put this red glowing energy crystal somewhere. <laughs> so he stuck it on his head. That way no one can hurt him. Uh, exactly. And I don't like the way that you're shitting all over Sukasa versus Byakuya, Nick. That was a classic. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I don't even remember what that fight was. I'm just trying. I was like, what was a fight later on in the series? <laughs> Uh, we cut over to Hawk, who's riding his big mom, and he's like, hurry, we must get there before, uh, you know, like, uh, everyone's dead. Uh, and then he sees the giant monster. He's like, we should go away now. We should just turn away. Uh, we cut around to various different people uh, across Britannia who are just looking upon this gigantic monster. And they're all saying, like, oh, shit, like, we're going to die. Like... Yeah. This, this is the end. Nothing can beat something that big. And the de- not really convinced at this point, honestly. It's like, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, this is the only time things have looked dire for our heroes. Uh, and the demon lord starts taunting. He's like, oh, I see. Hold on. You got you to gotta say these lines correctly with your tongue two feet out of your mouth. Does anyone understand what he's saying? Is he trying to be threatening? Like, <laughs> imagine if that was his voice, too. He's just like, I will thud all of their lives. They're you like, will, you will, you will, you will coat all of our slimes? What? <laughs> no! I am the instant of the fair! <laughs> You're I, used to being our seer? <laughs> No, no, he said something about sandwiches. I know there was something in there. <laughs> no, he, he talks about how he's like, everybody is is crumpled in fear. Their faces show all the sins they've committed. You know, tremble, resign to your deaths, and there is no greater crime than defying the demon lord. And he looks upon all the seven deadly sins. He's like, why aren't you guys sad and crumpled in fear? Guys, why aren't you crumpled in fear, guys? And guys, be, be scared of me. Yeah. I'm big and scary now. I'm a very All my plans have failed to this point, but you should still think I can beat you. <laughs> uh, so someone used this line last week, and I think it's a very apt comparison that everything following uh, <laughs> Elizabeth almost being crushed by that rock has essentially been one long victory lap for Seven Deadly Sins. It's kind of like the post-series movie, yeah, in a way. Very much so. Uh, and we have the Demon Lord do his big, like, why aren't you crumpled in fear? And uh, every member of the Seven Deadly Sins gets their moment to say their cool line to him as they stand in their big triumphant pose, because not a single one of them is intimidated by this guy, and they're going to wreck his fucking stupid face in the next chapter. Stay in fear of me! This is my fifth backup vessel and you've beaten the top two already be scared of me hold on maybe if I grow some butterfly wings that'll intimidate you now look at how big long I am 
you guys don't notice, but I have like a little tiny mouth above my regular <laughs> mouth, so I can eat you guys and talk about sh- like talk shit on you at the same time. That's pretty oh, terrible. No, 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 I'll talk and drink water at the same time. <laughs> you know, there's like it's very intimidating. My ventriloquist act. There's like six really cool deer inside of me that I like incorporated. <laughs> like these are the deer that were too badass to run when lightning lightning started striking everywhere. You know. Are they like famous deer, like Santa's reindeer? No, I couldn't get any of them, but these were cool deer too. No, and in fact, now that I'm kind of thinking on it more, these might just be the blind and deaf deer that didn't really realize anything was happening. Because I feel anyway, like I can't see or hear you guys, so I'm just going to assume you're super scared of me right now. Yeah, you guys are crumpling in fear, right? I can't see you, but uh. You know, I'm just gonna wiggle my tongue out there so I can lick your crumpled in fear faces. Oh, oh you guys are punching me. I'm I, I can only assume you're like desperately punching me in a panic right now because you're so scared. This this must be the madness taking you over. I've I've destroyed your minds with my impressive form. Wait, are you guys giving me a wedgie? Ow! Ow! Stop it! No! Ah, oh, the ultimate form of, of the ultimate form of subservience is giving your new master a wedgie, right? <laughs> oh, this is, just, this, is, this is just some hazing, all right? I understand, guys. I'm your new demon lord master, and you guys are just <laughs> ushering me into the groove. <laughs> uh, no. Go back go back to quaking in fear now, thanks. <laughs> oh, no, no, don't stretch it over my head. Oh, that's going to hurt tomorrow. No, no, no. All right, now you're lifting me up. I didn't up. even know I had nipples in this mountain form. You're lifting me up and dunking me in the toilet. All right, guys, I've had our fun. Remember, I am your I'm ruler now. <laughs> Witness me. Witness me. It's <laughs> <sighs> that seven deadly sins right. this week. <laughs> it's still you. <laughs> we yeah. No promise there. Uh, so let's talk about Black Clover, page 226, the Spirit Guardian's Magic. So, hold on, I have to remember this guy's name, because they do say it later. Um, I'm blanking on it right now. Uh, fuck, what is it? Gaja. Gaja? All right. Gaja, uh, is, is squaring off against, uh, Mimosa, Noel, and Finral. And he has lightning magic, and they're like, ooh, so he has powerful lightning magic, but what are those letter-like things around him? So that's something strange and different. And Noel even thinks, like, wow, he's really fast, but in my Valkyrie armor, I can evade it. Uh, God, God just thinking, like, you know, I, I did good moves. I'd expect this from a first stage, but my spell... No, 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 no. I'd expect no less from a frist stage. Well, yes. <laughs> That is what it says. I'm sorry. We gotta send a letter to Annalise. Be like, Annalise. dear Annalise, you've uh-huh. ruined manga. <laughs> Sincerely yours. <laughs> um, With love, your friends who can actually spell. <laughs> <laughs> Annalise would not say that if she reads most of the things I say. No. <laughs> Annalise would be like, nah, I don't, it's not I don't a great speller. <laughs> All right, so. Uh, yeah, he's like, my spell won't stop until it hits you. Uh, so it, it seems really dangerous. It looks like it's about to strike her, but it's reflected away because of Mimosa's magic. And, uh, Finroll seems to be playing a part as well. And he's like, ah, so she has grown to a third stage as well. Well, I'm glad that they established in this chapter 
that this is just something the Heart Kingdom does. Mm. Because they space specifically, ah, oh, yes, the Clover Kingdom doesn't do this kind of thing. Because, and then they go on to essentially have them prove the, I, th- I imagine that the point is like, yeah, the whole ranking system is stupid. So anyway, because, you know, Asta's a rank nine, you know, he's lower he's, than a rank nine. He's, yeah, he is. He's got zero magic. That's always been the point is that is defying usual conventions of how powerful a mage you are because Asta has no magic. It's overdone, honestly. But and I don't really know why we have to go over this ground again, but it is kind of weird to have another series that goes like, by the way, power levels. And But at least this time it is with the purpose of. Yeah, the power levels are bullshit. Yeah, and we're just going to say that from the get go. So, so uh, he knows he's like, all right. So, the spatial magic user is good, but he can only make passages to a place he can see. So, there is a hole basically in his defense, and we see him cast a spell into the eye or into the sky, and everyone's like, "Uh oh, this is really bad news." Uh, we then cut uh, away to Asta, who is defending himself against a barrage of like water knights and they're all trying to strike him and he just swings his sword all over and he's like ha i've negated their magic and we see the water spirit lady who's like ah it's it's undying so along with you know uh sylph and salamander that we have seen before so this is the third spirit that we've been introduced to yep so undine says ah well you know, you're incredible, but you're no match for me. And besides, you have no magic at all. If you have no magic, you're less than uh, ninth stage. And Asta's like, ninth stage? What's that? He's drowning at the same time he's trying to say this. And uh, she says, ah, you don't have the stages. Yes. Well, the ninth stage is very low magic. And then she starts to count. She's like, and then there's eighth stage and seventh stage. Anyway, <laughs> it goes all the way to stage zero. <laughs> Then there's stage pie and stage E. <laughs> or, she, or she starts getting into it. She's like, and it, then, it, then you get to stage six. And stage six is okay. It's not really great. It's kind of mediocre. It's kind of like uh, the Thor, the Dark World of stages where it's something you could watch and you're going to have fun with it, but you really don't remember it. Uh, although I guess it's more relevant now with Endgame. Now, speaking of which, Endgame's kind of like a stage four. It's really good, but it's not the best of the building. <laughs> she, she just keeps going into each stage with way too much detail. And, Ast- and Astor's just like, stupid MCU fanboy getting paid off by Disney. <laughs> As he's drowning. <laughs> she notes that the highest is Batman is better than <laughs> Asta would like that. Uh, she says the highest is stage zero. And that's what Gaja is apparently because he casts this crazy spell. Lightning strikes. He's like, mm, I can't sense their magic anymore. So they must have used the spatial magic to flee. Oh, wise decision. But wait, that portal opens up behind him. We don't cut to that, though. We cut back to the water place where uh, Sekre transforms out of her narrow form. Uses Sealy magic reverse inverse release, basically frees Asta from being imprisoned it's, it's, by these shackles. It's good. It's convenient that she thought to grab him with shackles specifically so that Sekre could do something. <laughs> yeah, she's like, ah, it's a chance for uh, sealing magic to come into effect. 
I do appreciate that we actually have some establishment that uh, Nero was did at some point get dislodged from Asta's head because we actually see her fly back in through the water orb that's surrounding Asta. So it's not like she was always there, but just wasn't drawn. It's no, she got knocked away at some point. So she had to get close to Asta in order to free him. So so we see Undine and uh, Gaja both kind of have big reactions because something crazy just happened. Uh, she watched somebody use ceiling magic and Gaj is just like, holy crap, he accurately manipulates space to a place he couldn't see, which is very dangerous. Nightcrawler has said several times you yes. shouldn't teleport to a place you can't no. see because you could end up in a wall. Um, Basically, the three characters kind of use their big, super awesome mega attack and smack Gaja. And Asta swings at Undine. And uh, that's kind of Well, he happens. goes... He goes after presumably the queen because he sees her behind a waterfall. And so he goes straight for her. Yeah. Uh, and we don't really see the result of that attack. It was all right. Um, very action chapter. Uh, it is interesting to see the introduction of this spirit happen very suddenly. But then again, I guess all of the spirits have just been introduced very suddenly. It's just, oh, here's one, you know. Um, also, uh, I guess... Because we've seen Sylph just appear when, you know, the they were just on that early dungeon raid, basically. Uh, Salamander showed up when they were dealing with the people from the Diamond Kingdom. Undine is in the Heart Kingdom, so presumably the last one is in the Spade Kingdom. Is it Gnome? Or am I just remembering? Am I Gnome, yes. Okay. I, I remember Tales of when they're na- when they're na- When they're named this way, the four spirits are Gnome, Sylph, Undine, and Salamander. Uh, and they've been used in a lot of different um, now fantasy settings. What do you call the world tree, Nick? Yggdrasil. See, I played Tales of Symphonia, and my mind says it, it has to be Yggdrasil, because that's how they call it in there. And I've always taken it as like, that's just the way it is. Tales of Symphonia wouldn't be wrong. The English dub of Tales of Symphonia wouldn't be wrong in their pronunciation of this. Uh, and I've never heard anyone else refer to it that way. So I really feel like I've been left on an island. Well, I just pronounce it the way that it looks, I think. Uh, I'm not sure what the like original like Scandinavian pronunciation is because I'm a bad Danish boy. Um, <laughs> that was your porno the, name. <laughs> according to, according to, dic- to the dictionary, the English pronunciation, at least, is Yggdrasil. So... I'm always going to call it Yggdrasil. No one can stop me. Go ahead. Whatever. <laughs> all right. Yep. That's a chapter. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all right. Um, the Undine thing is the most notable part of it. But I mean, they fought off their attackers and we're going to presumably get a look at the queen next chapter. So there you go. And we're going to close things out with One Piece. Chapter 960. Introducing Kazuki Odin. So it's a flashback into Odin's past and we see some of the characters that we have met in the present and their past form. Uh, Otsuru looks like basically every young girl that we've met in Wano to this point. She hadn't quite gotten her art style change when she became 20 years older, I guess. Uh, We also see Kinemon is basically a good for nothing bandit um, that uh, Suru is repeatedly like scolding. Uh, she overhears some guys saying that they have managed to capture a beautiful white boar, which they're going to get a huge amount of uh, wealth from. Uh, and when they leave Sirius' place, uh, Kinemon beats them up and takes it. 
what an asshole. What a jerk. But we had been told before that, you know, like all of the uh, Crimson Scabbards or what the Akaziah nine were real dick bags. Uh, so without a cause. So we also get introduced to uh, Kozuki Tsukiyaki, who is Odin's father. And we're just it's really weird that like there's just a guy who's just, uh, you know, just talking about Odin to Odin's father. And it's like, why are you? Why do you need to tell him this? <laughs> He's his father. He knows all this stuff about it. He's just telling him all this shit about uh, about his own son. <laughs> He's like, yes, from the age of one, he threw his wet nurse to the ground. At age two, he was quick enough to catch two hairs at once. At age four, he obliterated a bear by hurling a boulder at it. And so you guys just like, they're like, I'm aware. <laughs> I know. Yes. Thank you. It's kind of funny because this is the way we find it. All the details. But I really wish there was, like, a better narrative hook for why he's telling them all these things. Like, oh, we're uh, putting together, like, a book about all of the deeds he's done to this point. We need you to confirm everything or something like that. But he's sort of just like, so it seems he has no talent for sailing. And, uh, you know, here's everything that happened in his life to confirm. <laughs> You're sort of just like, all right. So Sukiyaki just <laughs> says to the guys, like, all right, enough of this. Like, oh, here, say nothing to Odin. Just give him this. And he just hands over this big paper piece of paper that just says disownment on it. <laughs> you imagine it's like someone handing that to Odin and being like, what's this? I mean, your father disowned you. It's like, Are you sure? It's just a big piece of paper that just says disownment on it. Nothing about it, so who it's from, or a signature. It's just a paper that says disownment. <laughs> or alternate, because the only other alternative is that he gets in. It's like, what is this <laughs> disownment? <laughs> so we also see Hyogoro, who has shrunk in the intervening twenty years, because he used to be this uh, chunky guy, um, who of course was, you know, Ayakaza. Uh, we see that uh, Kinemon is uh, being chased around, I guess, from the guys that. What? Maybe, I don't know who exactly he's running from, but he's running away from them with the boar. Uh, and also, you know, he's had a bunch of money stolen and stuff like that. Uh, he also has apparently stolen money from Hyogro because Hyogro is like, catch him and flay the skin off of his body. But he's strong, so, you know, be careful. Also, his hair is fire. It's fire, yes. Or it's very heavily stylized. Maybe it's always supposed to be fire, but it just doesn't as obvious when he's just got the little tiny yeah. patch of it. Um, we also see um, an orphan of the capital, Denjiro, who is trying to um, bargain with some guy who's selling pots and stuff. Yeah, he's trying to grift him. And yes. He succeeds. And uh, there's a couple things regarding Denjiro. So Denjiro's like the other person of the nine who I think we haven't really met yet. Um, just kind of we known that they've been there. Uh, and a lot of people. Yeah, because we met Ashura Doji and Kawamatsu. So he's, he's sort of the last one we haven't really seen yet. And a lot of people are predicting that this might be Zoro's teacher. There's not a lot hmm. to confirm it yet, aside from the fact they kind of have the same facial structure, but that doesn't mean a whole lot quite yet. But wouldn't be shocked. Especially when it comes to Oda's uh, art style. Yeah. But yeah. 
is an amusing exchange between him and this salesman because the sales because he's like, well, so you if I return the 30 silver pot I brought back earlier, you'll you'll let me exchange that. He's like, yeah, of course. And I already paid you 30 silver when I bought the first one. So together, that's 60 silver. So I'll take the big one. He's like, that checks out. (laughs) I like when I was watching, I was like. Am I stupid or is he doing the right math? Then I read it again. I was like, no, wait, hold on. He's just kind of the same thing twice. Like, I, it was so astronomically obvious once you see what he's doing that I was like, oh, wait, no. <laughs> uh, and uh, Kinemon happens to see this while passing by. He's just like, what the fuck is wrong with him? Uh, and then <laughs> the, guy, the store owner later is just like, wait a minute. Why do I only have 30 silver? <laughs> just the, like a delayed reaction. <laughs> Um, then, uh, we see, (laughs) so there's a funeral going on and, um, there's a little girl who's really upset about her grandfather's funeral being desecrated basically. And they're like, yeah, the cremation finished. So the family's going to go in and collect the bones, but he's pulling a pot of Odin over my father's remains. (laughs) And so we see Odin and he's just. (laughs) what a fucking amazing introduction to this character because the first time i saw this i had to stop and reread this part like three times it's like is this dude just fucking eating like a pot roast on this dude's corpse and that's a hundred percent what's happening he's just he's fucking showering down on this dude's like funeral fire Imagine if, like, the little corpse was just like, I must wave my finger at you. If I had fingers now, of course. (laughs) Bone joke. (laughs) So Odin's just going to town on booze and Odin and he drinks the freaking... He even drinks all the stuff from the frying pan down as well. And he's like, all right, so long. The next drink we share together shall come in the afterlife, Katsuzo. And now the family will pardon my interruption. And he just leaves. Uh, and there's a vassal who follows after him. And he's like, I'm sorry. He just never explains himself. And there's a whole bunch of people who are just like, what is, what, what, what's happening? And then all the women are just like, oh, what a man. So it turns out that the end of the last chapter with the start of the flashback with the note of hide your daughters, hide your wives really was just because Odin is just irresistible to women. They're like that. That dude's a fucking just sex on a fucking legs. I can't wait. Oh, all right. <laughs> so someone comes up to uh, Odin and Odin's like, have you come to apprehend me? And he's like, yes, but I'll accept a bribe too. <laughs> um, and Odin's curious. Cause like, why is no one like avoiding me? Like usual, uh, apparently there's a fire that's going on. That's got them preoccupied. Uh, and so, but we learned that there's not actually a fire going on. They say that's big. <gasps> Good away. <laughs> and um, we see uh, Kinemon and Dendro again. And uh, Dendro is like, do you think that the Kurokama boss is trying to use it to destroy the Hyogoro family? And when asked for clarification, he says, whenever that piglet 
the white boar is around. The adult boar is sure to come charging. The ancient scrolls say it's a white boar the size of a mountain. That's why they what they call the mountain god. There's a story about destroying an entire village in the course of a night several hundred years ago. I always thought it was just a tale, but now that I've seen this white boar for myself, the big white one must be the mountain god. The mountain god is real. And there's a panic, not over a fire, but because there is a huge boar approaching. And so everyone is trying to flee for their lives as it tries to come for revenge because its piglet has been stolen. And Kinemon's like, oh, my God, have I accidentally doomed the capital? But Odin is there. And he says, well, that was a fascinating story you just said, whoever you are. Give that boar to me. And that's where the chapter ends. So presumably this is going to be recounting the tale of one of Odin's many great exploits and also how uh, people began to gather around him. So. What a fucking dope-ass introduction. Uh, like, what a strange character. He has he's, this... He's more bizarre than anything else. Is that is? I mean, like, I don't know if I would call him cool, but he's strange. So yes. and, and there's something just so interesting. Like, you really can't top the idea of introducing this dude fucking chowing down in a feast on some dude's funeral pyre. And you're like, oh, what a disrespectful monster. But you can see, like, he has a ton of respect. He's like, thank you. Uh, I'll share a drink in the afterlife. And then heads away. And everyone's like, well, fucking, are you going to say anything? They're like, no, he doesn't explain himself. <laughs> he just does shit and leaves. Well, and also, I mean, like, he did it for that guy's sake, so why does he care about explaining it to you onlookers? Yeah. And that guy didn't ask him any questions. (laughs) (laughs) There's just something, yeah, as people have said, like, he does feel like a JoJo character. He's just so bombastic and huge with this crazy personality so far that you're like, all right, let's fucking follow this dude. Let's, let's, Let's go on an adventure. I can't wait. Hmm. Okay, well, that's it. Yeah. Um, I guess let's go over what we liked most this week. Favorite chapter in MVP. Uh, I'm gonna give my favorite chapter to One Piece. I really like this chapter. I thought it was a really fun chapter and just a good way to kind of get into this flashback. I'm pretty. I have. I have a lot of high expectations for it. I'm gonna give mine to Doctor Stone. Liked it from beginning to end. Loved the stuff with Magma. Loved the moment of camaraderie amongst everyone. Uh, even loved the big thing of Ibarra looking like he's on the verge of triumph. Love his plan to just like, we're just going to get ourselves out of the island and just firebomb everywhere in order to make sure that the invaders are taken care of so that I can continue to rule. Uh, all really good stuff from beginning to end. Um, I'm not quite as high on One Piece because not really sure what is going on with everyone there, but I will say that Appropriately enough for his introduction, Odin's my character of the week. So yeah, it's uh, I'm the same way. Odin, Odin's uh, my character, and I'm I'm super excited to see more of this dude. Yeah, uh, it's worth noting the audience uh, said Chainsaw Man was their favorite chapter of the week. And Chainsaw Man did have a badass chapter. We didn't talk about it, but uh, it would there were a lot of holy shit moments that happened during it. So uh, and there's a tie for the MVP between K. From Act Age, which is a series we'll be talking about soon, hopefully, mm-hmm. and Endeavor from My Hair Academia. Um, hmm. I was very confused because there were a couple of votes for Rebecca for Black Clover, and I'm not sure if I missed something or if that's an inside joke. So that's confusing, but we'll find a out. couple. You say there were more than one. There were two, at least two votes. 
That's got to be a joke. Like, <laughs> maybe I missed her. Maybe she was in the corner or something. She's like, I'm an important character. All right. Let's uh, let's move on to uh, wrapping things up as we look ahead to next time. Uh, so I picked Chainsaw Man, technically speaking. So do you have a recommendation that we're going to be working on or? No, I do not. We will decide on something later. Know. Yes. Uh, we are going to wrap things up here then. Thank you guys for joining us for the manga recap. For all of you to think that I am wrong about Chainsaw Man for week 40, I guess. Uh, it's just that now you're going to have to actually hear me be wrong about it every week from now on. So there we go. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for joining us for Weekly Manga Recap. We record the show live here on Twitch.tv slash RoloT and SmashCast.tv slash RoloT on Wednesdays around 7.30 to 8 Eastern time in the evening. You can follow us as well on at WMR Podcast, at RoloT, at Nick F. Time on Twitter. Be sure to check out our past episodes, Weekly Manga Recap .com. Uh, YouTube, iTunes, all that good stuff. You can check out our past episodes. Leave a comment, rating, help us to overcome the woodwork as we become kings of the hobby section. Send in feedback, ask us questions for a Q&A episodes, just future manga for us to read. You can send this stuff to weeklymangarecap.podbean.com uh, yahoo.com or you can go on the Discord server. There are a number of different chat rooms where you can contribute that kind of stuff. You can discuss the manga for this week and talk about how wrong Nick is apparently. I've never seen a chat light up so much about how wrong I am than this week, but whatever. Don't keep it up. Uh, and of course, the Discord server is also a great way to get uh, updates on the spreadsheet that NJX3i maintains, where we keep track of our suggestions and also supplementary awards and weekly ranking and all that stuff. Special thanks as well go out to everyone who supports us on Patreon uh, for helping us create bonus content for you guys. Steve Man, our title card artist, uh, infamous planner for the stuff that you do, Milo Stilitz and Winsdale Cheddar for the opening sequence of Weekly Manga Recap. You can follow them on YouTube.com slash Winsdale Cheddar and SoundCloud.com slash Milo dash Jack dash Stilitz. And that's going to do it. We will announce probably on Twitter what the series or on Discord, probably both, uh, what series we're going to be covering next time. Yep, we'll announce it then, guys. So that's going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap this week, everybody. Anything you want to send us out there with, Nick? You're usually a treasure trove of good little pearls of wisdom. Don't I just usually say I've got nothing to say or something like that? <laughs> but, Nick, isn't that truly the wisest thing to say at all? Like, sometimes, sometimes the wise is. man is the one who says nothing. That is true. Sometimes that is the case. Now let's ruin that by talking about nothing instead. Okay. Okay, cool. So anyway. I gotta do a war uh, games. Ladies war games, Nick. It's gonna be pretty exciting. Really? Yeah. Is that actually <laughs> happening? Yes, it is. I was so shocked that my voice wrote about 20 octaves. <laughs> really? Are they doing an uh, NXT? Yeah, then? NXT. I mean, I guess that'd have to be the place to do it. They're the only place that actually bothers having more than four women be relevant at a time. It's astonishing how good the NXT women's division is. Every I've got 20 minutes to go before I have to actually go to work. So we might just extend this episode talking about how much I hate WWE right now. <laughs> hey, it's I don't uh, even watch it right now. I, so. I, I, I follow NXT and that's exclusively it because NXT, I don't watch it because it, it happens while we record this episode. And unfortunately, I don't like AEW. It's not available for me free afterwards anywhere. So mm -hmm. I can't actually watch it outside of highlight packages sort of stuff. But 
you know, it still seems like it's really solid and entertaining. Well, because they're actually, you know, tr- bothering to try and put out a product that is entertaining to a certain demographic of people that they don't normally care about. Nick, so. are you saying that Tyson Fury isn't going to be like the next hot WWE superstar? He's- fuck about Tyson Fury. <laughs> and he's not just in it for one. On the same show as Cain Velasquez, no less. Who is Tyson Fury? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who is he? Someone tell me who he is. And don't say, oh, he's a boxer. No, why is he culturally relevant? All right, that's good. Come on, Green Capper. Goodbye.